everybody. My name is Ryan. I'm the lead pastor here at Crossroads, and it is awesome to be here this morning. I've been having a good time. I don't know about you, but that's okay. Uh, it's great to have everybody. Can I just give an exclamation point to a couple things that have happened so far? I mean, it's been a good morning. It's probably going to go downhill from here on out. I get it. But uh, just, I'm super excited about Oktoberfest and trunk or treating. Like, you just need to know about me. Like, this is probably my favorite thing of the year that we are going to do as a church. Like, Easter, Christmas, close second and third. It's a true story. Because Oktoberfest is my jam, all right? So listen, here's the thing though. Like, we have to be all in for this. So can I, can I break this down for you? Like, like I, I, I expect that we are all participating. Because when we as a church start to do the things that God calls us to do, God transforms lives, right? And so this is such an amazing, easy way for us to serve our community and for thousands and thousands of people to get introduced to the reality that there are people that love Jesus that go to church that we're not too weird. I mean, a little weird, but not too weird. But we're welcoming and loving. And I'm telling you, this is gonna be such an awesome experience, right? The fact that we're only raising 100,000 pieces of candy really bothers me. No, seriously, like you should seriously know this about me because I'm thinking to myself, like 100,000 pieces of candy, I want us to have like six, 7,000 kids out here. Like, and if that's, that's like three pieces of candy each, like not even that, right? You know what I'm saying? So I guess it's a little more, but I'm not good at math. I was a humanities major, you know, <laughs> even 15 pieces of candy, come on, right? So here's the thing, like you, I'm just gonna tell you right now, my heartbeat for us as a church is that we are the church. So if you're committed to going to church, there's probably a better church for you. Did you catch that? But if you wanna be the church and you wanna see the hope and love of Jesus transform lives, I think you're in a good place. I think you're in a really great place, but we have to be all in because when the people of God do the work of God, lives are transformed. And so this is an amazing opportunity for us. So I wanna encourage everybody. We have a little rule in our house. When September hits, every time we go to the store, whether it's Walmart, Target, whatever grocery stores you have here, I still have not been to a grocery store. I've been here four weeks, I haven't been to the grocery store yet. But so whatever that is, like our rule is you don't go into that store no matter what it is without coming out with a bag of candy for Trunk or Treat or Oktoberfest, right? So I wanna encourage you to take that life rule if you can, get a bag of candy, stop by, get a trunk, volunteer. Everybody can make this happen. Join the prayer team. If you can't be here that day because there's something going on, you can bring in candy. You can pray, you can come, you can do setup. There's all kinds of stuff. So we need to be all in. And I, here's the thing. You wanna know the key ingredient to, to, to a church's effectiveness in reaching its community and loving its community. It's not better music. It's just not. Our music's great. It's not gonna get any better than that. It is what it is. If it were music, the place would be packed, right? It's not better preaching, because we all know that can't happen. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. I mean, God brought us a gift in me, right? <laughs> I'm just, I'm joking. You should know that, okay? If you're a guest, you're like, wow, Eric, I'm totally kidding, right? It's just, it's not better preaching though, right? It just isn't. You know what it is? It's when the people of God get committed to being the church, when we live out, I surrendered everything. And it is such a beautiful place to live open-handed with God that everything I have is yours, including my Sunday afternoon on Oktoberfest and my car. It's not my car, my house, everything. And so if we'll get that in our hearts and our spirits, man, 
we're gonna have to take the curtains down sooner than you think. How many of y'all like to take the curtains down and see lives transformed, right? I just believe that, but it's not gonna happen if we expect that it's like Isaac out there and he's man in 30 trunks, just walking with every trunk. Or yeah, good. Yeah, it's, good to, it's good to have you, you know? It's when everybody's out there and people go, wow, this is amazing what these people have sacrificed and give up. There's a power in sacrifice. So I hope that you'll jump in and be a part of it. Rising Strong Groups as well, just personally, that helps us get out there and scatter well. And uh, so it's good stuff, all right? So that little rant's gonna cost you five minutes at the end of class, all right? So... (laughs) You're gonna have to stick around for a few extra minutes. All right, so uh, as I mentioned earlier, my name is Ryan. It's so great to be here. If you're here in the room, welcome. If you're out in the atrium, thank you. Put your feet up, grab a cup of coffee. If you're at home, try not to hit the pause button too many times, all right, to figure out what in the world we're talking about. There's some talk notes in your program. If you wanna pull them out, it'll give you hope that it will end at one point in time, that last fill-in, all right? We launched a series a few weeks ago uh, called Hope Rising. And our anchor verse, which is the verse I encourage everybody to memorize. And remember, the best way to memorize something is not to try and memorize memorize it. It's just to read it. Read it a couple times every day. You brush your teeth, read it when you brush your teeth. Read it when you get in your car. Uh, read it when you put your kids to bed. Read it when you wake up, right? Just read it two or three times a day over the course of a week, you'll memorize it. So Isaiah 61 chapter three says, to all who mourn in Israel, he, God, will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. That this is the God that, that gathers us. This is the God that brings us together so that love might transform our world so that resurrection can happen, right? That's beauty for ashes, right? That kind of thing. And in week one, we said that the goodness of God is this reality, that God has things under control even when life is out of control. And we really looked at what does it mean to say that God is in control versus that God is good. And last week we talked about loneliness and rising out of the ashes of loneliness. And we said that loneliness is a very loud liar and it shouts lies, but God always whispers truth into our hearts. If we'll learn to find the rhythms of life that can help us tune in. I went to Target this week. Anybody ever been to Target? Some of you are lying. I know you've been there. I've been to Target three times this week. And I'm gonna go for a fourth today, like no joke. Every day since Thursday, I've been in that target. And uh, that is just the problems of moving, right? Like you get home and you're like, oh, dude, I I forgot, I need it. And I even have a list, right? So uh, so I've been to Target. Thursday, my first trip, my inaugural trip to Target this week, as I like to call it, uh, we were leaving and I'm doing my best. Judah and Mike are with me. Uh, Maybe, I think, I don't know, that might've been myself. Uh, I always imagine there's people with me when they're not. I'm a lonely guy. So I'm I'm walking out and there's this mom, right? And she is parenting her best. And it looks like she's been parenting for a lot longer than she's been parenting. You know, I'm talking about parents. Like the, like one year of parenting is like seven years of life, right? Especially when they're all little, you know what I'm saying? Like what happened to my hair? I I had hair before I had you and now I have no hair or I have gray hair, whatever it might be, right? So she's parenting, she's outnumbered three to one, right? And she's got these three little girls and they're like short, medium, tall. And uh, she picks up the shortest one and she just kind of picks her up and she's got parent written all over it. (laughs) She's like, I'm about to give up. Like that's the face, right? And she just, she scoops up the first one. She's very quiet and she just drops the first one in the cart. And uh, she she goes, don't, do not judge her, okay? Do not judge that woman because you know you've done it too, right? You know you've done it too. So she, she goes to pick up the second one, right? The middle one, the middle height one. And, uh, and the, the tallest one says, mom, uh, are you gonna put me in the cart too? 
And this mom does what every good parent knows to do at times in your life. She just ignores her children. She just ignored her, didn't even answer. (laughs) And again, do not judge this woman because I know you have done it too, right? So she scoops up the second one and just drops the second one, barely missing the first one in the cart, right? It puts her in. And uh, and then the the third one says, mom, are you gonna put me in the cart too? And the mom, no joke, this is what she says. She says, no, you actually listen. And then, she, and then she leaves, right? That's her, that's her go-to line. And again, don't judge her because we've all said worse to our kids, right? But uh, it was funny because I was imagining that like this little girl wanted to be in the cart, right? But the cart to the kids was prison, right? And this mom knew like, this is the only way I'm gonna get anything done in Target, right? I'm gonna be all all over the place trying to round up these girls if I don't just throw these two at least in the cart, right? Because what had happened to this mother is she had lost all faith in her children, at least in Target, right? She had lost all faith in these two girls' ability to like obey, listen, stay focused because there's a lot of shiny stuff in Target, right? There's a lot of distractions, you know? And it's still not legal to put one of those little collars that, you know, on your children to just get their attention, right? Uh, that's a joke. That's a joke, all right? <laughs> but some of you are like, I know, I know, I know, right? <laughs> Am I allowed to say that? All right, so... So she's lost all faith in her kids, right? And you've done that. You've lost faith in your kids in certain settings, whatever it might be. How many of you, though, like truth be told, as you just pause, like there's somebody in your life that you have lost all faith in, right? There's just somebody that, that through your experience with them is like, you just can't trust them anymore. And if you go a little deeper, maybe there's an area in your life where you've lost faith in yourself, in your own ability to do something, your own ability to stay on a certain path, your own ability to get things done. And then maybe some of you are in this space. And if you are, I give you incredible props and kudos to be walking through it, is that you're in a space where you've kind of lost faith in God. See, these are three big questions that we face in life and you will face it in life. I don't care who you are. At some point in time, you're gonna lose faith in someone. At some point in time, you're gonna lose faith in yourself. And at some point in time, you will go through a journey of a loss of faith in a God, a God that you were given a God that you held too dearly and something will happen and some of those things will start to fall apart. And why is that? Why, is it, why do we lose? What's the process? Well, it all begins with doubt, right? We lose faith in ourselves because we doubt ourselves. Because somebody told us we weren't good enough. Somebody told us we won't be able to accomplish our dreams. Somebody told us that that's just not our skill set. Somebody who was supposed to be speaking life into us as a parent or as a boss spoke death. So you begin to doubt. I don't think I'll ever be able to get my finances turned around. I don't think I'll be able to save and salvage my marriage. I don't think, and so we just begin to doubt ourselves. We doubt others, right? We doubt others because they've disappointed us, because they haven't fulfilled their commitments, because they said they would be there and then they didn't show up. And they did that over and over again. You begin to doubt your spouse because your spouse makes promises over and over again to be home in five minutes and then it's 20 minutes later. And I always say, I'm sorry, but that's just how it happens. Oh, wait, that was, I went into my counseling session there. Sorry, my bad, right? Like we, we, we disappoint people, so we lose faith in one another. And the truth is we lose our faith in God and it might not be fully, but in certain areas of our lives because we doubt God. We doubt God because we have expectations of God. We say, this is what God's supposed to do. This is what I was told. This is what it means. And I grew up in this tradition. I don't doubt God. And I prayed. And I mean, after all, we can blame Jesus. 
Because Jesus said, if you have faith and don't doubt, you can do things like this and much more. And in the scripture that he says this, he just cursed a fig tree because it wasn't producing good fruit. And then right after the statement, he says, you can look at that mountain right there and say, be lift up and cast into the sea and it'll move. Now, I don't know about you, but I have never, never seen a mountain be lifted up and cast into the sea. Because first of all, where, where we live right now, I was gonna say you all live, but I live here now too. Where we live, there's no sea nearby. <laughs> That's a trick, right? <laughs> one of these mountains be lifted up and cast into the sea. And so here's the truth of it. Wonderfully thoughtful people who love Jesus hear this and bring to us a great interpretation that says, your prayer isn't being answered because you're doubting. Because after all, Jesus said, if you don't doubt, you can do this. And so what gets presented to us is true faith is this faith and it's described as confident and certain and without doubt. Right? Some of you are like, finally the first villain. We're gonna be here forever. <laughs> Probably so. I'm not gonna lie to you. We have until 2.20, right? That's kickoff. <laughs> but here's the thing I wanna say to you. And I wanna say more than this thing, right? Because we're gonna be here for a while. Uh, that I don't think the real issue is doubt. I think we've been fed a lie. I think that the real issue is avoidance of doubt. See, I think things fall apart in relationships. I think things fall apart in our own relationship with ourselves, our understanding of ourselves, our understanding of God. It's not when we doubt, right? But when we take those doubts and we suppress them and we don't acknowledge them and we don't work through them. So instead of addressing the doubt that I have with my spouse, you've made these promises, you don't follow through, I don't trust you, we need to work on this. Instead of actually dealing with it, discussing it, we avoid it. And it finds its culmination in, the, in, the, in like the life of faith communities. Because most faith communities are really centered on this idea that I jokingly say, but this is how we all do it. This is what we all believe. This is how it all fits. And all of a sudden you start to have questions about that. You wonder, is there a seat for me at this table? And maybe you were even told there's not a seat for you at this table. If you're gonna ask that question, <laughs> no. We're not prepared to talk about that question. If you really love Jesus, you wouldn't even ask that question. I mean, these are things that get said, right? But here's the thing. I wanna look at a story today in, in scripture of, some, of the opposite, of some young men that actually said embracing doubt is key to our faith. So Daniel chapter three tells this great story that if you grew up in the church or if you've been around for a long time, you've heard it. If you've never been to church before, if you've never, you're gonna love this story. Daniel chapter three starts like this. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and nine feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And if you're new to Bible study, you just totally checked out. You're like, what's on Facebook, you know? <laughs> like, oh, that was funny. There were some jokes, but you lost me. Plain of Dura, Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, whatever, you know? So here's the thing. Let me give you a little bit of background. So this story, it, the story actually is taking place about 2,500 years ago. And so what had happened was this big event in the history of, of the Israelites called the Babylonian exile happened in about 586 BC or, or BCE, depending upon which phrase you like. And in 586, the Babylonians, the superpower of the day came into Jerusalem because 
the Israelites had rebelled against their leadership and leveled the temple, destroyed the temple, which is in any, in any culture in that day and age, the temple was the center of it all. Think of the temple as the Capitol building because it all revolved together. There was no such thing as separation of church and state. And so if you wanted to prove your power to a tribalistic culture, you came and you defiled and defaced their God's shrine. And that's exactly what happened. And the nation of Babylon, the city of Babylon, the ancient city of Babylon is about 50 miles south of the current modern day city of Baghdad in Iraq. Right now you see the map behind me. This is a map of the Middle East. It's a little place on the planet. Uh, Not much happens there. You know, not a lot of wealth in that area. Nobody's really concerned about it. Not much history, uh, right? So this is, this is a very ancient kind of place, like the birthplace of humanity, right? Certainly the three desert religions flow out of this space where there's still all kinds of uh, tension and turmoil uh, over land. Uh, but you can see like, this is, where, this is where these folks were at the time. So they're in modern day Iraq. They've been taken out of Jerusalem because when, uh, when the Babylonians would come in, they would say, we want the best and the brightest. We want the best and the brightest. So you're gonna come with us and you became an exile, a refugee. And they said, we're gonna bring you into Babylon. We're gonna assimilate you. And you're gonna become part of the Babylonian culture. And if you're bright and if you're educated, we're gonna put you in charge and we're gonna recognize those leadership gifts. It's really actually pretty smart. And what they said was, you can actually practice your own religion. We don't really care. Like be Israelites, that's fine. Uh, Worship Yahweh, we don't really care. But you have to first be Babylonian. So you first of all have to be a Babylonian Jew. Right? Does this sound familiar? You have to be an American Christian, right? This is the reality of what power does in its assimilation, you know? And so he says, you can do whatever. And so that's what has happened. And so this story is about three young men who were taken exile and they were some of the best and the brightest and they had risen to a tremendous amount of power, right? So King Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon, the leader of the most powerful nation known to men at that time. So that's just where you have to get. And as we look at this literature, one thing's important is that we all should take a breath when we read these because these are stories that really there's a, a huge measure of buffoonery in them. There's a huge measure of like just snarkiness because the, these are stories written from the place of oppression. And so they tell the story of their, their captors as if their captors are the biggest morons on the planet. Okay, and so you have to read these texts this way. You have to read to a certain degree that there's a lot of hyperbole. That the, how could these people be in charge? How could God ever let these people be in charge, right? And you gotta imagine these are the stories that were told around campfires. These are the stories that were told to bring encouragement in future generations, right? Okay, so here it is. Nebuchadnezzar sets up this crazy big statue on the top of, in the plain of Dura, right? Then the king, the most powerful person on the planet, messages, you know, he says, a text to all the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, magistrates, judges, and the official provincial leaders to come to the dedication of the statue that he had set up. So what we're getting is that the best and the brightest, the most powerful, all the people that hold all the power are assembled together for this moment. So all these officials, they came and they stood before the statue of King Nebuchadnezzar 
that he had set up. And then a herald shouted out, people of all races and nations and languages. Do you get that, right? Like this is the, the, the kind of melting pot of the world at the time because they've captured and they've conquered all of the known world. And so there's all these leaders from everywhere. Listen to the king's command, right? You are from, and you speak other nation, languages and you are from other nations, but listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of every instrument known on the planet, the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and other musical instruments. Get the hyperbole here. Like we've got a band beyond all bands, right? When you hear that and any other musical instruments we might've forgotten, you need to bow to the ground and worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. And anyone who refuses to obey will be immediately thrown into a blazing furnace because that is a punishment that fits the crime, right? (laughs) This makes sense. We're gonna take our best and our brightest that we have spent how much money educating, putting into power. And if you don't bow down to this, we're gonna throw you, right? Are you getting the, like, these people are morons, right? That's the underlying tone. We wouldn't say that out loud, but that's the underlying tone, right? And so at the sound of the musical instruments, the scripture says, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language assimilated, they became what they were supposed to be according to the power structures of the day. And they bowed to the ground and worshiped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Because that's what you do. Because Nebuchadnezzar thought that God was an object to be worshiped. God was an object to be worshiped. We keep the gods happy, good things happen to us. And so we will worship and we will make everybody worship this one way. And you can go off and do your other things, that's fine. But everybody worships this way because we keep us together and and we're the best and we're gonna... All right, so that's how it's working. We could go down this road and it would be really bad, but this is what is happening, okay? And so he says, this is how we're gonna do it. Babylon is gonna be awesome because we're all coming together for the sake of Babylon. Do your own thing, but this is it. Our national allegiance needs to be here. So some of the astrologers, right? They went to the king and they informed on the Jews, little tattletalers. Nobody likes tattletalers. And they said to the king, hey, long live the king. We're with you, by the way. Long live the king, like you issued a decree, right? And, and that required all the people to bow down and worship this gold statue that you made when they hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes and other musical instruments, right? King, I mean, that's what you said. And that decree also states, hate to break the news to you that if people refuse to, do it, to bow down, then they get thrown into that blazing furnace right over there. And Nebuchadnezzar's like, absolutely right, I'm in charge. Like that's what I said and what I say goes. And he says, well, there are some Jews uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, three in particular, which is like the whole story is now getting crazy foolish, right? Out of everybody, we're just, like the king has enough time to worry about three refugee leaders, right? But we'll understand why in a second. So you get these three leaders says, you've put them in charge of the province of Babylon. Like that's the, the capital area. Like that's, you put them in charge and they don't pay any attention to you, your majesty, right? What they're saying, like your power doesn't really mean anything to them. Like they don't really think you're in charge because they refuse to serve your gods and they don't worship the gold statue you've set up. Here's what's amazing. These Jewish men, these young men, these boys, they knew that God was not an object to be worshiped. Now that will mess with you for just a second. (laughs) But they knew like, oh, we don't set up images. Like we don't bow down to images because that's not God. God is not found in this type of thinking. Right? We don't objectify God. God is alive. God is living. God is moving. God is guiding. God is directing. God is not in any way, shape, or form in need of worship to be happy, 
to be pleased. So they said, like, that's not what we do. That's a, that's a kind of fundamental principle of ours, so we're not gonna do it. So King Nebuchadnezzar, he flies into a rage over three refugees that he's already conquered once, flies into a rage, and he calls for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He orders that they be brought before him. And when they're brought in, Nebuchadnezzar says to him, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods and you refuse to worship the gold statue I've set up? Here's the scoop. I'm gonna give you one more chance, one more chance to bow down and worship the statue, to show your love for Babylon, to prove that you are one of us. When you hear that music, you better bow down. But if you refuse, if you refuse to bow down, you'll be thrown immediately into that blazing furnace. And here's the big question, here's the rub. And then what God will be able to rescue you from whose power? My power. Because see, this is the real issue, right? The real issue is that Nebuchadnezzar's power was in question and power hates it when you question their power. But yet this is the fundamental root of what it means to follow Jesus, to always exist under the weight of power, but always pushing back against it. Always asking, is this just? Is this merciful? Is this an act of humility? Is this good for all of humanity and not just Babylon? Like that's the place of this true faith and this true God that is alive, that is God of all. And so he is so furious. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, this is where the story gets really good, by the way. Spoiler alert. They replied to this king who is the most powerful king on the planet. And they say, oh, Nebuchadnezzar. Nebi, 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 Nebi. Listen, this is so sweet. This is so sweet. It really is. It's really kind of sad. It's really kind of sad how much power you think you have. They say, we don't need to defend ourselves before you. Oh, really? You don't think you do? Where's your temple at? Why are you here? You don't think you need to defend yourself? He says, no, 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 we don't have to. We're good. Because here's what we know. We know that if we are thrown into that blazing furnace right over there, the God whom we serve is able to save us. And he will rescue us from your power, your majesty. Goosebumps. Like that's the type of confident faith I'm talking about, right? Jesus said, if you have faith and you don't doubt, then you can do even these great things. Like that's what we ought to have. Well, hold on, we should keep reading. Because then there's this truthful, wonderful, very human statement, but there's always some seriously big buts in the Bible. This is one of them. But even if he doesn't, whoa, 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 what happened to confidence? What happened to, you're, you can't let that bit of doubt come. No. Oh, the story takes a bad turn. No, this is the beauty of it. He says, but if he doesn't, we wanna make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you've set up. Did you hear it in there, the doubt? See, these Jewish men, they embraced doubt as part of their faith. They didn't run from it. And this is the tension in authentic faith and in authentic faith communities. Not that, oh, we all believe the same thing. We all do the same things. I come in and I never doubt it and I just pray in Jesus' name and this is what we No, we, we take a healthy dose of reality that tells us I've prayed and sometimes, a lot of times, most often, my prayers don't get answered the way I wanted them to. And I love that they don't run from that. They say it out loud. And this is authentic faith. I believe God can, I hope God will, but I embrace God might not. And that's what they say. 
Like we believe that God is able. We believe that God will. We hope that God will. But here's the deal. We embrace that God might not. And we're gonna stand on that principle regardless of the circumstances. See, their faith was a matter of principle, not circumstances. It's not that well, I'm gonna follow God if God exists in my image and if God exists in the way I can understand God. No, they said, this is what we know to be true. We know this about God and we're gonna live and defy on our principles. Oh man, you can imagine how well this went over. Nebuchadnezzar freaks out. He becomes so furious with them. His face, the scripture says, became distorted with rage. And he commanded the furnace be heated up 10 times hotter than usual. And then he commanded some of the strongest men of his army. Again, here's the buffoonery. Here's the reversal. The strongest men of the army to bind up these three refugees and throw them into the blazing furnace. So the strongest of Babylon against the weakest of Babylon. They bind them up, they tied them up, they threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king had, in his anger, turned up the heat so much, the flames killed the soldiers that they threw the three men in. Right? I mean, this is the, the great reversal, right? I mean, they're so strong and so proud, they can't even throw people in the furnace right. <laughs> and then it says, so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, right? They fell into the roaring flames. That's a funny way to put it. They fell into the... But the text doesn't, the story doesn't want to give the power to Babylon. No, they fell in. They were like, oh, there it is. Okay, we'll go this way. (laughs) Right? They fell into it. Now, now can I share with you something? If you've heard this story over and over again, you maybe have never thought about. I think that there's a possibility that they died. You know why? Because when you get thrown into flames, you burn to death, (laughs) right? True statement. I'm not lying. Don't try it. It's true. You go build a big old furnace and you go stand in it, you will die. And the other reason why I think they die is because the, the astrologers and all the people are really pleased with themselves. So I think there might be a little bit of a gap between this verse and the next one. Because it says, suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and he exclaimed to his advisors, advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? And the advisors say, yeah, we did. All good. Mission accomplished. Like they're, they're not seeing it, right? For whatever it might be. And Nebuchadnezzar says, look, as if there wasn't something to be seen at one point in time. And I imagine, and I wonder if, because there is this really crazy theme in scripture on death and resurrection, that all of a sudden they are resurrected. And Nebuchadnezzar says, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a God. Oh, wait a second. That's not, that's not what we planned. And I'm gonna tell you right now, I don't think they were walking around. I think they were dancing. (laughs) And I think in the midst of their fire, as they were resurrected, as they're brought into this space, they start dancing with the divine in this fire. And they're like, "Mm yeah, yeah, whatever it is. They're doing the running man, right? They might do the cabbage patch. You know, they're like really getting into it in the fire, right? I've got some moves, by the way. I never got to really enjoy prom. So that's the (laughs) 
thing. But that's what they're doing. They're dancing in, I believe it wholeheartedly that they're in there dancing. And, and if they are walking, they're like moonwalking. You know, they're, you know they're, that's what they're doing if they're walking. And they're in there and it's crazy party in the fire. Because, and I don't know whether they know they're still alive or not. Like, think about that. Do they care or did God rescue them? They're not feeling the fire. Maybe that's it. Maybe they're like, it's over. This guy's with us, cool. And they're like, <laughs> they're like waving to people outside the flames. They can't see us, you know? I wonder if this whole time they just think it's over with, they're dead. God has rescued them, ended their suffering. They're no longer under oppression of the Babylonians. And all of a sudden, this scripture says that Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the flaming furnace and he shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out, come here. He still thinks he's in charge, it's funny. And if I'm Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I'm like, no, you come on in here, it's good. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I'm good, come on in, right? No, so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they step out of the fire and then everybody comes and gathers around him and not a hair on their head had been singed, the story tells us. And Nebuchadnezzar says, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because he sent his angel, his warrior to rescue his servants who trusted him. And here's the trick, they defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any God except their own. He still has really bad theology, right? But what happens when authentic faith shows up, the divine becomes present in plain sight. And that's what I think we can lean into this morning. And I think that's what can transform our lives and can transform our relationship with one another and with this God who holds everything together is that authentic faith, I believe God, I hope God will, and I embrace that God might not, will bring the divine into plain sight because people will see the authenticity and the reality that, that part of this life of faith is uncertainty. So here's a few pro tips for your everyday normal life. You're gonna walk out of here. Monday's gonna happen. Monday's gonna happen. It's gonna be 11.30 on Monday, 11.35. What are you gonna do tomorrow? So here's the thing. As doubt starts to set into your world, as God is working in your life, vocalize your doubt. Don't sit on it, don't hide it, vocalize it. You have a question, start asking it. God's not afraid of your questions. We might be, power will be. <laughs> oh, power will not like your questions. I can promise you that. But God, oh, he's like, come to me. Let's talk, let's reason together. Let's work this out. Let's talk about your disappointment with the universe. Let's talk about that, that, that diagnosis that you didn't expect and now you're angry at me. Like I can handle it, let's do this, let's talk about it. So learn to vocalize your doubt. And then I would encourage you to let the principles that you come to hold as dear, like let those determine your defying moments. The, the, the core principles, and there are very few, my core principles that say, Ryan, you have to defy power and structures. You have to go beyond Babylon. You have to say, I've got, I can't be this first. I have to be my principles first are pretty simple. Found right in the Bible. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly and help people follow Jesus in the same way. So when I'm up against a power structure, a system, a culture that is producing injustice, I am compelled to not bow down to that. When I see a religious structure, system, power system that is not embracing mercy, I am compelled to not bow down to that. 
when I see arrogance and pride and lack of humility and lack of questions and that, oh, I just know it. I have to be right. This is the only way. This is how we do baptism. This is how we do communion. All that stuff. Like I am compelled to not bow down to that because it, it, it brings about injustice and it brings about a lack of humility and it brings judgment, not mercy. And so to me, what it means to help people follow Jesus, to embrace what God has created them is to follow Jesus in the same way, who is this incredible picture of justice, mercy, and humility against the power structures and cultures of his day. And then I wanna encourage you to start dancing with the divine. I wanna encourage you to move out of this idea that God is an object of worship and move into God as a divine dance partner who suffers with us who walks with us. And out of those ashes where we just say doubt like tore me apart, but when I start to embrace my doubt, when I bring it into true faith, when I ask those questions, all of a sudden what's gonna rise up is an authentic faith. That's not afraid of doubt. It's not afraid of questions because we embrace and we love wonder and humility and surprises. And that's what God wants to do. There's your last villain. So what? So what? What is God inviting you into today? We've had a great experience this morning. We've had great songs to talk about the hope of Jesus. We have great songs that talk about how God is this roaring lion who comes, but he's also the suffering lamb. That in our praises, chains are broken. We've talked about the opportunity to love our community, to be a part of Oktoberfest with something as simple as bringing in candy or standing in front of a trunk or volunteering. We talked about embracing our doubts. So I wanna just give you a few minutes, pull out that connect card, finish filling it out, look at those next steps on the back and just think, what is God inviting me in today? How is my life being transformed by being here? The band's gonna do this great song called I Will Rise. And while they're doing that, just sit, consider. You might wanna close your eyes. You might wanna just think about it, sing, finish filling out your connect card, get your offering ready. We're gonna receive the offering, get you out of here to go enjoy the day. But let's first pause and allow this God of the universe that holds all things together, that has brought us all here today, not because we are all the same, not because we all equally have the same zip code or money or belief system, but because we are all equally loved by God. And God is equally working in our hearts and our lives if we'll open up to that. Whether this is your first time here or your 500th time or your last time, God is inviting you into something beautiful. So as they do this song, which is just a really encouraging song, consider what next steps you might take today. And then Isaac will be up to get us out of here. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you for your grace in our lives. Thank you for this truth that we will rise out of these ashes of doubt. In Jesus' name, amen.